first reading this morning is from Ezekiel, chapter 12, verses 21 to 28. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, what is this proverb you have in the land of Israel? The days go by and every vision comes to nothing. Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to put an end to this proverb and they will no longer quote it in Israel. Say to them, the days are near when every vision will be fulfilled. For though there will no more false visions or flattering divinations among the people of Israel, but I the Lord will speak what I will and it shall be fulfilled without delay. For in your days, you rebellious people, I will fulfil whatever I say, declares the Sovereign Lord. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, the Israelites are saying, the vision he sees is for many years from now, and he prophesies about the distant future. Therefore, say to them, this is what the Sovereign Lord says. None of my words will be delayed any longer. Whatever I say will be fulfilled, declares the Sovereign Lord. Now, second reading comes from 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 to 18. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as a reminder to stimulate, as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and the command given by our Lord and Saviour through your apostles. Above all, you must understand that in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar, the elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends... Since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. 
Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. To him be both glory now and forever. Amen. Thank you. Morning, everyone. Good to be with you all. I want we pray. Father God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your promise that it is certain. Help us to uh, wait in faithfulness. Help us to have humble and quiet hearts as we come to your word now. Amen. Do we have any fishermen or fisherwomen in the room? Anyone listening to it? Just Gary. All right, Gary, I'm sorry for what I'm about to say, but I hate fishing. <laughs> yeah, I find it so boring. <laughs> I can't think of many worse ways to spend my day. Um, I think the last day I went out fishing was back when I was 12. My uncle took me, my brother and my cousin out. Uh, and look, back then I was pretty keen. I wanted to catch a fish. I think I was just naive. Uh, we got there, cast out and got to work, sort of casting, slowly reeling back in the whole drill. I was so sure I was going to catch a fish until about two minutes in uh, when I still hadn't caught one. The doubts started to creep in. Five minutes, still no fish. I reckon I made it to half an hour. Right? I think that's pretty good. Still no fish. It felt like five hours, probably wasn't even half an hour. Uh, but I get frustrated. Was there even any fish in water? I don't think I'd actually seen anyone catch a fish in person. Was it even possible to catch a fish? Right? These doubts, they just eat away at me. So I gave up and played in the park for four hours with my brother and my cousin. Uh, doubts, they can be so quick to creep in, uh, especially when you're waiting. I don't know, think about how how quickly you get edgy when someone's meant to pick you up and they're, what, two minutes late or something. And as Christians, we know far too well how easily doubts set in. Now, we're people that, that wait. We're waiting for Jesus to return, uh, and that has felt like a really long time. How can doubts not creep in? Is he really coming back? Is all this stuff true? All these doubts, they, they pop into our heads heaps more than we'd like to admit. But God says, don't worry, keep waiting, Jesus is coming. But if that's the case, how can we be sure? Where do we look to when the doubts start creeping in? When the doubts start eating away at you, where are you going to look to for certainty? Uh, that's what we're going to think about together this morning. Uh, where are you going to look for certainty for the day of the Lord? Uh, we come to the final chapter in Peter's letter, uh, his last words to the people waiting for Jesus' return, and he's written it in verses 1 and 2 to bring them to wholesome thinking, uh, to remind them of the promises and commands made in Scripture, to bring them back uh, to the things which give them certainty while they wait. Uh, and those things are going to be important uh, because while they wait, there's going to be doubts. Uh, he says there's going to be people making fun of them, saying, verse 4, let's pick it up, verse 4, 
Where's this coming, he promised. Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. Pretty much what they're saying is Jesus isn't going to come back because he's had decades to do it and he still hasn't. Which is the same thing that brings us so much doubt today. 2,000 years is a long time. Will he actually return? Well, Peter gives three things to show them there's no reason to doubt. We're going to step through them, and they all centre on God and who he is. That's sort of the key. They centre on God. And the first one is in verses 5 to 7. These people, they've forgotten that that God has brought destruction in the past. Uh, So he reminds them in verse 6 of Noah that God sent the flood, which destroyed everything. And if you remember it, people doubted back then as well. Uh, they, they were saying, where's this flood that God promised? Is it really going to happen? Everything just keeps going as it has since creation. since creation, And then it happened. And now verse 7, let's have a look at verse 7. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the, of the ungodly. See, God created everything by his word. By his word, he brought the flood with Noah. By his word, he keeps the world going round even now. And by the same word, he has said that there will be destruction and judgment. See, God's shown that he's able to bring judgment. God's consistent. He, keep, he, does, he carries out what he says. And so they can be confident of Jesus' return. He is consistent. That's the first one. Uh, the second thing uh, for certainty is God's different perspective on time. Uh, that's in verse 8. Let's move down to it. Verse 8. Uh, but do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. Uh, when I worked in a science lab, uh, it was my job to sort of develop a new method for analysing drugs in blood samples. That sounds pretty cool. It wasn't. Uh, I just sat there every day running the same thing over and over again and recording the results. Right? It was dead boring, but that's what science is. Uh, not boring, look at the past. Um, it is a bit boring at sometimes, but um, it, it's looking at the past to predict what will happen in the future, right? Uh, and that's how our world works. Uh, our experience of time is linear, right? We, we go from the start to the end and we feel and observe every bit of it. So we use history to predict what's going to happen in the future. But God, he's different. He has a different perspective. He's sovereign over everything, even time. Time doesn't constrain him. It doesn't affect him. He isn't bound to it and feel it in the way that we are. He puts it in place. He dictates it. God has intentionally and purposefully picked out the exact day when Jesus returns and just because that day hasn't happened yet doesn't mean that it won't it means that it will that it's still coming there is certainty because God isn't bound by time he's sovereign over it that's the second one so the third one it's in verse 9 God's patience shows his faithfulness now come with me to verse 9 Peter says The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Or as he says in verse 15, 
God's patience means salvation. Isn't that such a beautiful verse? The reason why Jesus hasn't returned yet is that he is still saving people. See, God is a loving God. He is patient, kind, merciful, gracious. He loves and values every single person. He wants them all to come to repentance, to find salvation in Jesus. He doesn't want a single person to perish. And so in his patience, he's being faithful. Faithful to his people and faithful to his promise that people can come back to him. In this time waiting, God's faithfulness is at work. This delay isn't a lack of faithfulness. It's not that he's forgotten us or abandoned us or left us to ourselves. This delay is his faithfulness in action as he brings people to repentance. This delay is confidence that God is at work and can keep his promise because while we are waiting, that's exactly what he's doing, bringing people to repentance. So friends, while we're waiting, where are we going to look to for confidence? It's straight back to God. Our confidence of Jesus' return is found in God and who he is. It's, it is certain because he is certain. He is consistent, he is sovereign, he is faithful. God in who he is, is our source of confidence. So when the doubts do creep in, when we get worried or uneasy, we only need to look back to God and who he is and that's where we'll be reassured. So go back to him in his word. Remind yourself of who he is Don't forget what he's like. He's certain, he's consistent, he's faithful, he's sovereign. It's in him and who he is that brings us confidence of Jesus' return. And one day he will. That's verse 10. We'll step through it together. Have a look. Verse 10. The day of the Lord will come like a thief in like a thief. It will be expected. Uh, It will be unexpected. No one will know when. The heavens will disappear with a roar. When it does happen, every person will know that it is, that it is happening. Everyone will see it. No one will miss it. The elements will be destroyed by fire. There'll be complete destruction. Nothing will stand in its way. And the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Everything will be exposed. Everyone will be called to account. God wants all people to come to repentance. But on that day, it will be too late for those who don't trust in Jesus. Friends, let me say, on that day, you don't want to be found on the wrong side of Jesus. Now is the time for repentance. Don't presume on God's patience. Jesus could come back at any time. He'll come back like a thief in the night. If you are living in sin and Jesus isn't the first thing in your life, repent. Come back to him. God is calling you back. Repentance is just saying sorry for your sin, for your rebellion, and turning back to God and having Jesus as the king of your life. So come back to him. 
even if you have been in this church for 30 years, if you come to Jesus for the first time today, not one person in this room is going to think you're an intruder or a fraud, not at all. Every single person is going to be celebrating. Friends, now is the time for repentance. Come back to him because it's certain that one day he will return. Uh, when I was younger, uh, me and my family, we travelled over to the US uh, to visit some relatives. Uh, while we were there, we went to a theme park called Six Flags. I don't know if you've heard of it. Uh, it's huge. It's like 260 acres of just roller coasters, right? It's massive. It's awesome. It's great. But the thing was, the lines just about matched how big the park was, right? They'd just, you'd be waiting there for ages and they'd have signs out the front telling you how long. And I distinctly remember one sign saying the wait was going to be over an hour. And it's huge. And I don't think it was actually that long, but it was, it was long. And you just stand there. Right? The anticipation's great, but it's a line. You're just standing there. It's dead time, right? We have this certainty of Jesus' return. We're waiting. But while we wait, what do we do? How do we pass the time? How will we look forward to Jesus' return in great anticipation? Uh, well, that's where Peter goes next. That's what he brings up in verse 11. Let's open it back up. Verse 11, he says, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? Well, you ought to live holy and godly lives. Holy and godly. Uh, those two words can be a bit jargony, I think. We throw them around quite a lot. Uh, but holy uh, just means distinct, uh, free from sin or blemish. Uh, or more specifically, uh, it's set apart for a purpose. So their lives are to be distinct and set apart for a purpose. And godly, godly is this idea of devotion to God, this worship and respect for him in all that you do. So while these Christians, while they wait, their lives are to be distinct from the world in devotion to God. Their lives are to be set apart for the purpose of worshipping him. Why? Because verse 13, that's what life will be like. End of verse 13, in the new heavens and the new earth, that is where righteousness dwells. See, that's the whole thing they're waiting for. The new heavens and new earth where there is only righteousness, only holiness, only goodness, uh, godliness. That's the thing their whole lives are looking forward to. So as they anticipate that with every fibre of their being, they prepare for it. They live righteous lives. Or to put that another way, if that's what life is like in perfection... If that's what their whole being is given to, why wouldn't they start preparing? Why wouldn't they want to start getting a taste of that life? Uh, as you know, uh, Liv and I, we're expecting a baby in mid-Feb. Uh, so naturally we're getting prepped. Uh, we're getting all this stuff right. Here's my study with all the stuff in it. It's pretty much gone. Uh, we've got a pram, we've got drawers, we've got bassinet, we've got a bouncer, we've got clothes. We've even got one of those snot sucker things. Um, right? we're, we're going to classes, we're reading books, we're listening to podcasts. We're super excited. Right? It's all we think about and talk about. We're sorry if you're sick of it. Um, but the point is... Uh, there is no way you could walk into our lives right now and not know that we're expecting a baby, 
right? We're, we're looking forward to it, we're excited. Uh, but as I thought about this passage this week, uh, I wondered if the same would be true about how I look forward to Jesus' return. What I mean is this, if, if someone walked into my life, would they know that I'm looking forward to Jesus' return and a life lived in all righteousness? What about you? If, if someone walked into your life, would they know that you're looking forward to the new creation? Would they see how your life is distinct from the world? Would they, would they see your devotion to Christ and worship of him? Or would they see your life and think that Christians aren't so different after all. Life in heaven where righteousness dwells, uh, that's our great hope, isn't it? It's what we're excited for. Why wouldn't we want a taste of it? Lives of holiness and godliness in anticipation for perfection. It's a glorious future. And Peter carries this on in verse 14. He goes next. Is it still there? Verse 14, he says, Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Uh, Spotless, blameless, and at peace. Uh, they, they, They all carry this same idea of sort of cleanliness, of being without sin, or as we were just talking about, holiness. Right? Make every effort to be holy. But I think we have this, it rings alarm bells sometime because if, if Jesus has made us holy, how does this work with making every effort? Uh, as this, this idea, this thing called sanctification, right? Lots of you will have heard about this and thought about this, but what it is is that God's people have already been made holy. That's the up arrow. Uh, Christ died so that God's people would be holy, free from sin, acceptable to God on the final day. That work is complete. It's done. There's nothing to be added to that work. We are secure in him. But there's this second aspect that because we still sin, we still struggle with it in this world, until that day we still grow in our holiness. We still fight against sin until that day. And that's what Peter's talking about here. Alongside God... His people have a responsibility to grow and live in holiness as they live out the identity Christ has given them. As they wait for Jesus to return, they are to grow and make every effort to live in holiness. Uh, Here's what Paul says in Colossians. uh, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires and greed, which is idolatry, because... Of these, the wrath of God is coming. Uh, that verse, uh, it always brings to mind uh, Street Fighter. I don't know how many people know Street Fighter, but when you're about to win, the guy sort of goes, finish him, I don't know, put to death sin, finish him, you know. Uh, because for these Christians, righteousness isn't an optional extra. They're to put it to death. They can't just choose to put off righteousness until Jesus returns, but live with sin until that day Sin, there's these things, there's no room for it in the life of a Christian. They are the things that God is going to bring judgment upon. They're destined for destruction. So he says, put them to death. Have nothing to do with them. 
with lust, lying, with gossip. Have nothing to do with foul talk, pride, jealousy or bitterness. Nothing good will come from those things. Put them to death, gouge them out. Make every effort to live in holiness. A month or so ago, I challenged you, I encouraged you to pick a sin that you struggle with and pray that God might help you in grow, growing in fighting that sin. Now, let me ask you, how'd you go at it? How are you going at it? At fighting against that sin? At making every effort to put that sin to death? Friends, keep going. Keep making every effort. Uh, It's not worth having something in your life that is under the wrath of God. Keep making every effort to live a life in holiness. But also, don't be fooled. Uh, No matter how much effort we make, uh, every effort of ours, it will never be enough to give us security on the day that Jesus returns. That security can only be found in Christ. And that's how Peter finishes this letter. Jump down to verse 17 with me. Uh, Verse 17, Peter says, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. The secure position for God's people is Jesus It's found in the knowledge and grace of him. He has made us holy, spotless, blameless, completely at peace with God. He is where all hope, certainty and security lies. So Jesus holds us firmly to the end and there is no more firmer ground than that. Don't get taken away or carried away by false teachers saying security is found in the work you do or by special actions or traditions or special prayers. The only thing, the only thing that gives us security on that final day is Jesus through trust in him his sacrifice his kingship so remain in the secure position the grace and knowledge of Christ remain in them and grow keep growing grow in the grace of Christ keep coming back to him in repentance Keep relying on him and his grace to make you right with God and to bring you to that holy life. And grow in the knowledge of him. Keep keep knowing him. Keep learning about him. Keep coming closer and closer to him in relationship. But both of those things, they're going to happen in Scripture. I think that's why uh, Peter talks about it in the verse earlier. In Scripture is where we find Jesus and his grace given to us. In scripture is where the spirit works to convict our hearts and transform our lives. And in scripture, we come to know Jesus. So when we make every effort, to make every effort always starts in scripture. The grace and knowledge of Christ. That's what holds us secure. That's what gets us to the end. That's what makes us righteous. The grace and knowledge of Christ is why we make every effort Because Christ already has. So how are you doing at that? I think a trap we can fall into is thinking, 
we don't have to make every effort. Uh, we talk about salvation by faith and grace alone. Jesus has done everything to make me holy already. There's nothing I can offer God. And we take that and we distort it into an excuse for sin. That I don't have to fight, I don't have to do anything to fight it. It's already been done, I'm saved. And we wouldn't put it like this, but maybe we even convince ourselves that uh, salvation gives us a license to sin or that even sin makes us more relatable to non-Christians. But that's not who we are. We've been saved already into a distinct and holy life. That's our identity that we've been given. God, uh, Jesus worked to free us from sin that we, so that we don't have to be living under it. The fact that we're saved by grace and faith alone is even more reason to make every effort. We can live in righteousness with freedom, with confidence. There isn't a burden on whether we're going to be good enough or holy enough or we've done enough. We can go head first into righteousness, making every effort with joy and freedom, with no pressure, because Christ has given us the security to do that. I think Tom uh, said a similar thing a month or so ago. Uh, but when I was young, I was waiting and looking forward to the day when I'd be a mature Christian, right? When you'd know everything, you wouldn't struggle with the sin that you, that you do. I'm still waiting for that day, right? I think many of us feel that. I saw lots of smiles. We all feel it. But the thing is, that maturity doesn't just happen suddenly, it's not like one morning we wake up and we'll be mature. Or we'll absorb enough knowledge and wisdom and we'll get there or it'll happen by just by having sermons wash over us and hopefully something sinks in. It takes effort. Effort by the power of the Holy Spirit who brings us to holiness. It's as you dwell on scripture... As you meditate on it and put it into practice, as you, it's as you make hard decisions to do things that are against the tide, not going out to certain events, not, not swearing or laughing at dirty jokes or getting drunk. It's as you make every effort to grow in the knowledge and grace of Christ. Friends, some of you have been doing that for 50 years, even more, and that's incredible. What an encouragement. To me, that encourages me and spurs me on. Uh, so please let me encourage you and say, keep going. Keep on growing. Don't stop. Don't, don't give up. Just keep making every effort. Keep growing in the knowledge and grace of Christ because that's the secure position. That's where we won't be shaken. It's certain that he will return and in him is the security on the final day. To Jesus Christ, our Saviour, be glory both now and forever. Amen.